start the week with Tim and Damo on the Unmade Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Damien Francis in Sydney. And I'm Tim Burrows, also in Sydney. Today, election fever. Was Facebook's Australian unfriending a hit job? And Foxtel's latest numbers. Unmade. Hey, Damo, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Welcome to Sydney. Welcome back. How's the jet lag? Jet lag? Well, it's great for getting you up to work on a podcast like this because I was wide awake at half past three this morning. So um, from that point of view, I guess the jet lag is working out all right. And that wasn't just because you were so excited about the Miami Grand Prix, which is ending as we speak. Yeah, look, no, I uh, I didn't even manage to sort out my stream for that one because my, my streaming needs were taken care of previously in the UK. So, uh, so yes, so uh, I think it might be time to reactivate my KO subscription, but we'll, we'll perhaps come on to that a little bit later. Yes, let's do that. Uh, speaking of coming on to things, where shall we start this week? Let's let's start with the election and the media promises of the election. Um, one from the papers this morning, this one's in the AFR. Doesn't seem to be online yet, but in the print edition of the AFR, looks like there's going to be yet another round of the so-called PING Fund, Public Interest News Gathering, which is one of the, the sort of bailouts that um, the Australian government provided for uh, the news publishing companies during COVID, um, this time aimed at uh, the regional side of things, or rather it was aimed at the regional side of things last time, but this time just for regional. So it certainly looks like um, the coalition government, at least, is being receptive to the the pleas we've seen in recent weeks for a bit of extra help for newspapers. The issue being this time that the price of newsprint is going up. So my my local newspaper in Tasmania, the the Bernie Advocate, for instance, which is an Australian community media product, ACM, Anthony Catalano's business, I gave over the whole front page uh, during the week just gone, uh, asking for government help. Uh, and of course, that would have been on every regional newspaper. And of course, um, you know, we do have a uh, a communications minister who is extremely receptive to the media moguls and it does look like uh, Paul Fletcher has once again come running to the rescue. Now that wasn't the only thing in the uh, talking points as well. Uh, I spoke about F1 just before in terms of support. That won't have anything to do with anti-siphoning unfortunately but the anti-siphoning rules were spoken about as well recently in the papers. Yeah, we obviously touched on this, I think, last week a little bit when we talked about pledges from uh, Michelle Rowland, the uh, Labour shadow communications minister about the anti-siphoning rules. So I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised when the next set of rules comes out if the Melbourne Grand Prix remains protected, but the rest of Formula One. Probably not. But of course, where what's really focusing minds at the moment is the next uh, AFL deal will probably be wrapped up before um, the new rules are in place. Um, so that that will be quite intriguing. And of course, the Olympics deal too. So, so we're seeing sort of more and more being said, particularly by Labour, about what their stance will be. Um, if I have a sort of disappointment about the process so far is 
it, it, it's a very narrow announcement, still within the same old framework of anti-siphoning. It doesn't feel like, for me, the party, there's been a great deal of thinking about a wider media regulation strategy generally or a modern new framework, you know. So it it does feel like we're sort of back to that old thing of panicking when everything is incredibly out of date um, rather than um, some deep thinking ahead of time. Now, Fox Salt came out swinging a bit over the weekend as well in terms of that AFL coverage, was, which was interesting. But I get sidetracked slightly because, of course, when we're talking about the election as well, one of the bigger de- debates within media circles anyway has been around the, the leader debates that have been happening um, and the coverage around those as well. But, Tim, how have you seen that all play out? And, uh, you know, there's been a, a little bit of a snub of the ABC as well. Yeah, it's a declaration of interest. Um, I, I, as I say, I'm a little jet lagged, so I was asleep well before Nine's leaders' debate last night was on. So I can really only form my judgment from uh, what I'm seeing said on other media this morning on our social media last night. Certainly, it looked like Nine had some technology problems. They were asking people to kind of vote on which leader they liked, and at various points. Um, the the on-screen graphics were saying that Labour had won, that the Coalition had won. I've seen screenshots of people trying to vote where their three choices were Coalition, Labour or Coalition. Um, it, it does sound like there was a bit of a technology mess um, and a lot of criticism. Um, uh, it was, uh, it was, some of it was aired on uh, ABC News Breakfast this morning. Uh, but also uh, in The Guardian uh, overnight and the, this morning about the quality of the moderation. Not so much because of the moderator, but the format, the format being basically Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese shouting at each other. So we've, we've, we've still got the seven debate to come. We obviously had the Sky one. Um, and as you say, there was no ABC invitation for a leaders debate this time, despite the ABC trying quite hard to have one, which does feel like it, it says an awful lot about the ABC's relationship with um, the existing government. Coming up next, more Facebook files. Unmade. Tim, a big investigative piece from the Wall Street Journal over the weekend, looking at Facebook's unfriending of Australia, some very, very strong pieces of information coming out here from whistleblowers. Uh, what did they uncover? Yeah, so this is uh, somebody working internally at Facebook um, who's gone to both, it, it, it appears, both the US authorities and uh, locally, the Australian Competition Consumer Commission, of course, led the process of the News Media Bargaining Code. And what they appear to have released to them are transcripts of files of some of the internal conversations going on with Facebook at the time, just over a year ago, when Facebook stopped allowing news sites and other sites to share their content with their audiences. Now, that was just in the build-up to the news media bargaining code being legislated. Um, so it was really to put the, the, the pressure on. Um, and look, on the one hand, there's some 
genuinely interesting stuff here. Um, it was republished as well as being in the Wall Street Journal. It was given a, a, the, the WSJ article was republished across a full page of the Australian on Saturday, and then there's sort of follow-ups as well. And it it certainly shows the kind of there's a fair bit of hubris internally at Facebook in terms of them all slapping themselves on the back about how well it had, it had gone. And of course, you know, one of the kind of the the arts of negotiation is you want to leave the other team feeling that they've got a really good deal and that you're, you know, you're only grudgingly happy. And this kind of gives away that that wasn't really the case. So, so I suspect what it might do, it might just put a tiny bit of pressure on is it is still an option for the treasurer um, to choose whether to designate Facebook and Google under the news media bargaining code as organisations which will have to negotiate. And of course, at the moment, Facebook has picked and chosen which media organisations to negotiate with, done some big deals, but also left people out, like The Conversation, like SBS, like um, Concrete Playground. So there have been, there've been a few sort of famous exceptions. Um, I suppose the one thing is this does is it, it sort of removes the cover a little bit for um, the Treasurer to not act upon this if they want the fight. And in the end, it becomes an entirely political question of, do they want the fight? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Do they want the fight? Like you said, Tim, particularly Facebook in this instance seems to be picking and choosing a little bit more and making the headlines more in a bit of a negative way. What do you think happens now? Are there any likely consequences for... Google and particularly Facebook now, does the government need to start designating? What should we expect at this stage? Look, I I think the reality is they won't. That's my guess. And I think they probably should. Um, I'm not sure I see any signals from Labour that they would do anything different once they're in charge, though. Uh, so I think Facebook has probably in terms of judging the politics, has judged it quite well, um, you know, and in that usual deeply cynical way that often seems to be the way that Facebook behaves. Coming up next, Foxtel's Tricky Path. Unmade. News Corp's quarterly results are out. Tim, you focused on Foxtel Group in Best of the Week. Uh Tell me about what you've discovered. It's all about the numbers in terms of the customer numbers. Yeah, so the, the exercise I did in the, the, the weekend's edition, which you can find at unmade.media, was to take a look at um, how the performance of the individual streaming services have been doing within Foxtel Group. So this is data that's been available for, for a while now. They've been sharing it since... Um, the third quarter of the 2019 financial year. But I don't think anybody had yet plotted it on a graph, certainly not publicly. I do know of a few executives from other other organisations that have been doing it for private purposes. So um, it wasn't a completely original idea of mine to do it because I knew a few had been doing that. Um, and a few things come out. Uh, one is, this is all just focused on streaming to start with. I guess the original streaming play for Foxtel if you ignore 
the disaster that was Presto, um, is Foxtel Now, which is the service they've still got, which which effectively is the full premium service um, where you get all of the... Uh, you, you still have to buy different packs, but it's where you can get the, the best product, but at a price. Now, one of the things that, that was interesting about that was that that actually peaked way back in that fourth quarter of 2019 at a little bit over 400,000 subscribers and has since gradually declined to about 200,000, so about half, which um, in the scheme of things you might worry about. Um, I think really what it actually shows though is actually quite good you know, business discipline in the, an expensive product. Foxtel has done quite well at hanging on to a lot of revenue despite the fact there are a lot uh, cheaper options and that of course is where cannibalization comes in including self-cannibalization because it's begun to launch its own cheaper options now if there's a massive well there's a couple of massive success stories um one of them is ko so the sporting offering um now just over, um, in fact, approaching 1.2 million paying subscribers. Now, that is, is achieved in a number of different ways, one of which is sort of, you know, sort of being, being pushed through the Telstra relationship as well. But however you look at it, that's, a, um, that's an impressive number. Um, what is also clear looking at it, though, is the month-to-month um, structure of subscriptions is people tend to switch it off when it's not their favourite sport. So you can see that when um, when we're out of AFL and NRL and Formula One season, it drops off. Uh, are you so, accusing me of switching off during the Christmas period? Tim? Well, you're not alone. You're not alone. I mean, we can which see, I do. I'll be honest. I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and many subscribers do. So where that helped. Um, not paint such a good picture, of course, was when Foxtel was um, looking a quarter ago to hopefully IPO. That was as it had one of those dips. It had a similar dip in that. So that was the second quarter of the financial year 2022. So the months October, November, December um, had the same thing in 2021 as well. But it's kind of obscured in 2020 because everything was out of the window because of, of, of COVID. But what we have seen is we're into the the third quarter results now, numbers going back up again and, you know, likely to go up again in this quarter too. So let me uh, talk about what's coming up then. It's a good time to sort of jump in and do that because from what you had written in, in Best of the Way, it seems to be quite spread in terms of uh, expectations and how those different brands within Foxtel are, are doing. So, for example, uh, as you said, KO, some very strong numbers there. Binge potentially about to lose the HBO deal. But looking at Foxtel now, while it's dropped, it's still charging a lot per subscriber. And as you pointed out in Best of the Week, you could possibly uh, attribute some of that loss to the end of Game of Thrones as well. <laughs> The really interesting one for me as well was Flash and, and the very small amount of subscribers which it has at the moment and how long that goes on for. For those who don't know, the, the streaming news service uh, coming out of, uh, of News Corp. But Tim, what 
what happens moving forward? The IPO now seems to be very much off the table. It, the expectations are kind of all over the place right now. Well, let's take that one thing at a time. Firstly, yeah, Game of Thrones, that, that certainly marked the high point of Foxtel now. Um, first time that people could legally uh, stream that show in Australia and you give people the means of doing it and they actually do. Um, as you say, Binge has been another success story. It's carried on going up. You know, that didn't launch until the fourth quarter of 2020, so um, more than a year after KO. And this, in this most recent set of numbers, has actually overtaken KO for the first time. So just over 1.2 million. Um, as you say, though, we've got a couple of challenges, one of which is HBO deal will expire, I think, next year, end of next year. So they're going to need to find some other content there. The Fox FX deal, I think, is 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 running out quite soon, which obviously wasn't quite such a big deal, but that's going to be a loss of content. So they're going to need a replacement. NBC Universal, what, what in other markets is Peacock, is coming up. But that will be expensive. So just the sort of profit levels question is there. Um, and then, as you say, there's a tiny little blip in the data, which is, um, if you do your maths, you can work out that Flash, which was the new streaming service, had about 7,000 subscribers, which in the scheme of things is is kind of negligible. Um, look, I don't think it cost them a great deal to launch it because it's, it's piggybacking on the, the existing technology. Um, but um, that certainly... You know, never felt like a mass product, and I think that that that's confirmed now. Um, so that so, so so that I suppose is is to where we're at, and then where we go um, uh, from here. Um, sport is the other big headline headwind, really. AFL either. Uh, they managed to do a deal and hang on to most or all of it, or and that will be really expensive, or lose it to um, Paramount, who have signalled quite strongly they want it for Paramount Plus and for Ten, um, which will be just as disastrous. So you you've got um, you've got two different organisations who can't afford to lose on it. Um, now AFL might fall, find a way of splitting the rights so that uh, everybody gets something at a very high price. That'll be going on right now. Um, but yeah, that's going to uh, that's going to be one of the big deciders of the game in the coming months. Up next, a new product chief at nine. Unmade. So nine has appointed a chief product officer um Damon, i'm going to ask you what you make of it and also to explain what a chief product officer is yeah talk about put me on the spot at such an early time in the morning tim <laughs> it's it's a really interesting hire so rebecca hausma has come in as the chief product officer as you say at nine it's her second stint at nine actually after she was involved in nine msn now she's been hired by uh, Alex Parsons, um, who uh, has worked with her previously at uh, Nine MSN. Now, Alex Parsons is the chief digital officer at Nine. She's coming in uh, to lead a strategic approach to how customers are 
uh, are placed at the centre of, of Nine's business, uh, says Nine. Uh, she's just come off six and a half years at uh, Telstra and will be replacing Ben Haywood uh, at Nine, who left in April. But her remit is going to be wider than what Haywood's was. Her remit will be across uh, Nine Entertainment Corp. Um, and she'll be essentially looking at the consumer-facing products that Nine has and I guess in a sense how to make them more consumer-friendly. Now, interestingly in all this uh, as well is that uh, well-known Nine executive uh, Damien Cronin, who's uh, Chief Technology and Information Officer and, and runs the technology team, will be reporting into Hasma as well. So, there's a, a bit of a, a shift here uh, for me. Let's just explore that point a moment mm. because it is worth emphasising what a big part in the success of Nine Damon Cronin has had because um, he was on that Project Blue team that helped save the newspapers when they were working under Chris Jans and they had the secret product to reboot. Yeah. Definitely got to read that, that chapter. Yeah, we covered that off in the book. Um, so he was there... But he was also there on that original launch team of Stan, which you take this stuff, this technology for granted when it works. Um, and then, of course, at exactly the same time that, that Cronin was building on a platform that worked along with Mike Sneesby, um, Presto, which was the joint venture between um, Foxtel and Seven West Media, was failing partly because the technology didn't work. So... Um, yeah, Damien Cronin is a really important and senior character, so it says a lot that he's going to be reporting in to Rebecca Hagsmar. Yeah, and like you, you say with Stan, it seems like there's a bit of a, a 9MSN feel going around here because, of course, Mike Sneesby has history with 9MSN as well. But for me, what I was going to say before was um, it, it seems like a, an interesting hire in that I possibly would have suspected that 9 may have gone – for someone with experience and one of those up-and-coming, highly invested in tech companies who have always had people at the forefront, customers at the forefront, whether that be a Netflix, for example, or a Facebook or some sort of technology company like that, which really leans into the, to the customer experience. I'm not saying that Telstra doesn't necessarily do that with the, the six and a half years experience that she has, but Telstra is a, a, a company with a long history that has had to you know, upgrade what it's got in terms of its products and its customer experience rather than launch straight in with a, a, a completely new offering. So an interesting uh, hire there and you know, someone as well who, you know, in, in our chats before, Tim, you pointed out too that didn't necessarily have a, a, a news publishing background either. No, not a huge news publishing background that I can think of. Um, obviously, 9MSN, you know, did have its own homepage in the day. I'm not sure she was nest in what way she was involved in that. And, and a little bit earlier in her career, I didn't quite cross paths with her, but when I edited B&T, magazine um she was still in the building had been the previous publisher um and look you know the i, I guess one of the reasons i was brought in was because you know the <laughs> it needed some work still um which i think you know rebecca wasn't wasn't involved in bnt for very long but i uh, you know 
and as I say, this wasn't at first hand, but my, my impression was her management style was to ensure that the staff were happy was the sort of priority. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think I can read too much because I never saw her work at first hand, really. But, um, yeah, my, my, my impression from certainly 15 years ago was um, she would certainly kind of tread carefully when it came to existing relationships. Coming up, CHE fights to retain one of its big clients. Unmade. Energy supplier AGL is reviewing its agency arrangements. Um, so this is a story from the Australian Financial Review today, Damo. Uh, what do you make of this one? There's a few bits to pull out from this one, Tim. Look, as we, or as you, most people probably know, AGL has been in the headlines recently because Atlassian founder Mike Cannon Brooks had tried to uh, take over the, the business, but now uh, owns uh, a, a significant uh, share in the business, 11.28% uh, after that sort of failed takeover bid. AGL has been uh, or is trying to divide the business up and separate out the the coal part of the business with the the retail part of the business so they're two separate things. So that brings them to an interesting time uh, in the business in that they are now looking to revisit the media and uh, creative agencies that are working with them. Currently, that's uh, CHEP and UM, so CHEP on the creative front uh, and UM on the media front. Now, those two agencies uh, got the account in 2018. So they've held it for a few years now, but you would argue that with the vote to separate uh, the the coal business out uh, coming up uh, towards the middle of the year, it's a pretty important time uh, for AGL in terms of how it uh, brings itself to market and presents itself in front of uh, consumers as well. I guess one of the things that's changed is that CHE isn't the organisation it was when it won that business in 2018. Absolutely, Tim. That's a, a really good point. Justin Hind has come in as the CEO of CHE, obviously replacing Chris Houghton when he went and, and did his own thing, Houghton and Company. Importantly for CHE, it rebranded in February to CHEP Network. Um, it, it's done relatively well since then, recently won Officeworks. But in that rebrand to, to CHEP Network, um, it, it's really pushing its um, abilities a- across the industry. So not just creative, media as well. Uh, it's always really kind of been seen as a bit of a full service offering. Uh, so adding that that name network at the end sort of makes it seem like a, a, a mini Holco, really. Um, so look, you could look at this and say, could CHE? And now we know from these reports that both incumbents have been invited to pitch again, but could CHE possibly take media and creative? It's not out of the realms of possibility here and and CHE has certainly set themselves out to be able to uh, to provide a, a range of those services. Well, there is also a new chief marketing officer and they do often like to bring in new blood. Um, what do we know about David Bland? 
Look, you're right, Tim. The CMO always seems to like to leave the the mark, and and as soon as a new CMO is uh, announced, uh, the industry looks out to see whether a, a pitch will be announced as well. But look, David Bland, he's been at AGL since uh, September 2019, according to his LinkedIn. Started off as the general manager of uh, customer advocacy. Uh, and has moved into customer experience and advocacy and, and then chief marketing officer. So he's got a, a bit of a history with the business, knows it relatively well, but now in the chief marketing officer role will be looking to uh, to make his mark on it. And, and like I say, in, in a time where AGL is shifting uh, considerably as well, but he's also got experience at uh, Australia Post as well, having again worked uh, in customer strategy and uh, CX as well. Well, I think that's probably where we'd better leave it for today. Time is beginning to beat us. We would love to hear what you think of everything we've been talking about at letters at unmade.media. That's letters at unmade.media. And there'll be another edition of Unmade's email on Wednesday. And don't forget, if you haven't yet made a booking for Unmade's marketing during a cost of living crisis event, then please do so. That's in Sydney on May 24. Tickets are on sale now. Just go to tinyurl.com forward slash Unmade event. And if you haven't given us a rating in the podcast catcher of your choice, please do. It helps others to find us. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. We will see you next time. Toodle pick. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.